one of the things that uh, was a benefit is that I started podcasting after having been a writer for quite a long time, yeah? So I didn't come in with, um, I wasn't wide-eyed and I didn't have any delusions. So I knew <laughs> exactly where people tend to think when you when you do creative work. And my name is Brenda Wamboe and uh, I'm a writer, a podcaster and a digital strategy consultant. This is a podcast about journalism in Africa. I am Dickens Olewe. I reached out to Brenda when I saw a tweet that her podcast otherwise had just hit 100 episodes. I started our interview by asking her to tell me a bit more about how she started podcasting. Otherwise podcast is um, a project that I've run since August 2016, 5th August to be more specific. And the reason that I created the podcast was because I felt that there were gaps in mainstream media coverage in terms of uh, creating awareness around context. So we have a lot of beat reporting and people will be aware of what what happened today, what happened next week. But then in terms of creating the thread and being able to show people this is the root of this problem, this is where it arises, this is not the first time it's happened, and um, enabling people to think about issues from a systemic perspective. So that was the motivation. And also to create an archive because it's very easy for things to seem like they've never happened before. So I always wanted to be a point of reference. Um, I also wanted to write women into our history because most of the times when you, at least when I do my research, even when I'm writing, it seems that women were not present in most of Kenya's important moments and yet we know they were. It's just that it wasn't documented. So my podcast usually features um, female experts in different fields. So if it's manufacturing, if it's um, affordable housing, if it's healthcare, just so that we can write these people who are doing amazing work, they have expertise, but somehow can't seem to find audience on mainstream media. I don't know whether it's because of um, the sexist nature of media or whether it's because of some other reason, but I wanted to to, to write them into Kenyan histories. And um, finally, to co-create a, pro- a program with um, my community. So I don't think about the people who listen as an audience. I think about them as a community because the podcast has been audience-led since day one. Um, in the beginning, at least for the first uh, 40 episodes, we used to have a weekly vote, but, but that was when I still used to run the podcast solo. So a weekly vote and people would say, this is the current affairs topic that, that has been in the news that we would like like we would like to learn about so whichever one i would do my research and i'd record an episode and then the approach changed when we started approaching the election in 2017 the general election so i decided to have a series of episodes that were to be a scorecard for the first term of um, Uhuru Kenyatta and uh, William Ruto's presidency. And those were wildly successful. So I decided to start featuring guests, which is something we've done since we came back for the second season. So from episode 53, and now we just um, hit our 100th episode. And we talk about, there's always a current affairs um, angle. So we don't just pull topics (laughs) out of the air. It's uh, something that is in discussion in the general Kenyan um, psyche. And then we talk about it more in depth and uh, draw um, draw a picture or create a, a picture for people so that they can be able to understand the space within which these things are happening and that they don't happen in isolation. And, and I kind of want to go back uh, to the beginning. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So you were not technically a journalist. So just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started into uh, how you got into podcasting. Uh, okay, so. The reason I started podcasting, I have been listening to podcasts for quite a long time, and it's something that 
I, I enjoy because of the personal nature of the medium. And um, originally I was a writer. Um, I'm still a writer. I just haven't <laughs> haven't published in the last couple of months, but that's that's where I got my start. So when I was in university, I used to blog. Um, I blogged from 2010 because my course load lightened significantly, and I had all this free time. So I started blogging. Then people thought that I should keep doing it because they liked my writing. Then I started. Um, I worked in politics from a digital media perspective just straight out of university and then after that i went to india to continue that line of work but for a social um sorry a social justice slash um peer lending organization so i did that for a year then i came back in 2013 and that was when the president had just won the election this is now uru kenyatta had just won the election and there was just a lot for me there was just a lot of dissatisfaction in the way that media was operating because the man started by calling people for tea at State House. And I was like, we are in, we are in deep, deep um, trouble. Let me not curse. We're in deep trouble if this is how he started. Yeah, um, because that was basically an indicator of media capture. So we started a journal to begin with and then it became an organization called Brainstorm Africa to give an intelligent perspective or a critical perspective around Kenyan issues, social political issues. And so I did that since 2013 and uh, the whole time I'm still listening to podcasts. And the thing about podcasts that I like is the personalization. So in as much as you know that this person is recording and it's being listened to by many people, as it's not being recorded for you specifically. When you're listening, it feels like this information is being conveyed to you personally. And then there's no loss of tone. So the gravity of issues can be conveyed. So writing is amazing. And Depending on the kind of writer you are, you can you know you can really take people through emotional highs and lows. But there's something that uh, you can't replace about hearing someone speak. And Kenyans just really like <laughs> they like audio. So um, audio is the leading, at least radio specifically, is the leading um, media form in Kenya. Yeah, and it's still a growth medium somehow in 2019. So for me, that was another thing. You've just hit 100 episodes. Congratulations and. Yes. And I just wanted you to to give people a sense of what the you know, the process is in terms of I think you you you, you talked briefly about how you poll uh, your audience who you call your community when it comes to the content that you want to create. So could you just you know allow us to access your your process and your workflow? How does that happen? So you poll your audience, they tell you what they're interested in, and then what comes next? So that that was season one, yeah. And um, the reason that that used to be able to happen in that way was because I was running the podcast alone. So for the people who've listened to episode one, <laughs> all the way through episode forty, they know that I was running it alone. And the thing was uh, uh, much shorter. So episodes used to be ranging between ten and fifteen minutes because they were explainers, more or less, yeah. So whatever topic people want to learn more about, uh, I'd pull them. They'd um, they'd uh, select one. Then because that podcast podcast releases on Thursday. So I used to have to record either on Tuesday or Wednesday just so that and like I'd have to pull the week before but it couldn't be too early because yet again it's current affairs, yeah. So <laughs> a Friday you do a Friday poll um and then the results you know come out on the weekend then do your research. So I used to spend my whole weekend doing research and then of course it's Monday and then either record on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday and release on Thursday. But then with guests the workflow has shifted significantly because 
I not only have to work with my schedule, I have to work with their schedule as well. And most times these are people who are really influential in the in the spaces that they work in and they have multiple demands on time. So by the time, <laughs> you know, like especially when you try to book someone the same week of the recording, because yet again, this is a current affairs show. So normally my Mondays are just, I usually am pulling my hair because I have to book a guest. Like if I book on Monday and I'm, I manage to secure the guest, that's a good day. But then sometimes, It'll only happen on Tuesday. And uh, the thing about me, I think that helps is because I have a long history of writing, especially about, um, um, from an analytical perspective, about social political affairs. I'm not usually starting from zero. And these are things I'm usually reading and writing about in my work. So I would have to say it's um, someone like the episode we did this week, which was with Atsango um, Chesoni, who was the deputy chairperson of uh, the Committee of Experts on Constitutional Review. So the Kenyan constitution is something that I'm very interested in and I have read and I, I like to think I understand. So scripting such an episode will not take me a long time because I know what to talk about, but it'll still take me at least two hours, yeah, just to be able to come up with the flow. And uh, after that, communicating with a guest and letting them know this is the script. And the script is not, it's not a jail, yeah, because <laughs> we still manage to, to, to deviate from the script. It's just like a framework that helps us understand the sort of message we want to the sort of topics we want to discuss and also helps our guest prep because um, there's something else I really despise. I think one of the reasons I don't watch television interviews is um, poorly prepped guests. So I've been on TV a couple of times and I usually am one of the few people when I'm on a panel to demand talking points in advance because I don't want to come there and uh, say nonsense or waste people's time. So that's something that I like to do is prep my guests. So this is what we're going to discuss. So if you, if you, of course, if you have a grasp on it or this is something you've thought about recently, it'll take much less time to prep. But then I have, I have guests who really, you know, some people, it's been, it's their first media appearance and they are very keen on prepping, yeah, and being ready for anything. So <laughs> that really helps. And that's one of the things that also distinguishes the podcast is the amount of research and the amount of prep that goes into it. And you do the editing in-house as well? Yes. So um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work with a partner that's uh, at the moment the Heinrich Pohl Foundation. Before that, it was um, the IWMF, the International Women's Media Foundation. Um, and this enables me to be able to, to pay for the studio because, you know, in terms of uh, expertise, if I was to become... <laughs> If I was to become any kind of sound engineer, it would be terrible. Like, I think if I had to edit podcasts by myself, I would cry. I did once, <laughs> episode 50. And after that, I was like, yes, I am happy to pay for the studio to, to deal with this because my skills are not up to par when it comes to editing sound. So having the studio, sp uh, the studio space, having the sound engineer, and uh, basically just focusing on what I'm good at, which is the content. Yeah, and then allowing the guest who is there to shine. So we have a conversation. Most of our episodes are around 45 minutes, yeah, give or take. And then after the recording, I sit through the edit because I am the executive producer. So in as much as um, I still don't, <laughs> I don't do the cutting, you know, and the cleaning of the audio by myself, but I will still direct the way that, you know, the the, the way in which I want the episode to, to be constituted. You've just talked about... Um you know, hiring a studio to do the cutting and, and, and the editing. But do, do you have other other people working directly with you when it comes to uh, producing the podcast, apart from, you know, the, the no. third party? No, just yourself. No, it's just me and the studio, yeah. <laughs> you it's and the a, studio. Yeah, I know. It's a small operation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a very exactly. small operation, yeah. yeah. That's great. Now, the, 
I really want you to, to, to give us a sense of, um, I mean, you talked about radio, but then podcasting is a different medium. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just, you, you know, you've done 100 episodes, you've been in this space much longer than um, other podcasters that I know of. So mm-hmm. can you just give us a scale of uh, what the ecosystem is like? I mean, how, um, how are people interacting with, the, um, with the podcasting and what are the challenges? What are the opportunities? I think for me, um, one of the things that uh, was a benefit is that I started podcasting after having been a writer for quite a long time. Yeah, So I didn't come in with, um, I wasn't wide-eyed and I didn't have any delusions. So I knew <laughs> exactly where people tend to think when you when you do creative work, right? And one of the things that tends to be a challenge for most people is um, financing, yeah? So if if you're running an in-house podcast, like especially um, for the people who will do their own recording and then they'll do their own edit, like if you have that skill set, that's amazing. But then remembering that, um, for example, hosting costs money, yeah? So if you want to host, for example, on a, on a platform like SoundCloud, they charge 11 euro. They used to charge 9 euro when I started if you want to host on um, a dedicated podcast platform like Libsyn, which is where I host my feed, um, it, it's going to cost, depending on how much you upload. But if you upload weekly, you're probably going to pay $20 a month. Yeah, So out of the gate, you're spending money. So people have to have an idea around how they're going to sustain that because as it is, I think on the continent, or let me speak for Kenya specifically, that's the the area I know, the market I know, as it is now, the people who listen to podcasts, it's growing. It's a monthly growing audience. So more and more people get introduced to the medium. But then they still cannot, um, if you are to say you're going to monetize through advertising, for example, your audience is really small and niche as compared to someone going to work with a radio station, you know, or a television station or some other form of um, some other form of uh, medium. And there's another factor when it comes to independence. So depending on what kind of podcast you do. So so mine is a, mine is especially social political. So my independence is extremely important. It can't be that um, you take money from an organization and then suddenly you can't do any sort of critical episodes on the area that these people work in. So that's what tends to happen. Yeah, this is one of the ways that media ends up self-censoring because of the type of money they take. So that was something that was really keen for me, and um, I was I was really fortunate. And of course, as a as a product of my experience as a writer um, and also knowing exactly what I wanted to do. So I was fortunate to be able to partner with foundations that have a belief in um, independent media as well. So not being, not, not calling me to tell me that hey, this thing that you did last week, we are not really happy with it. Like I've never received such a call, which is something that's good. So there's that. But I'd say that podcasting is growing. It's just that people need to think about the sustainability because, and this is a challenge that podcasts globally deal with, right? People start with um, a lot of um, vigor and the best intent, but then over time, because you have demands on your time, you have to make a living, (laughs) life is getting more expensive. So between your podcast and whatever else it is you do for money, um, the competition on your time, you know, that the thing you do for money tends to win. So very many people end up dropping out of podcasting. So something that we have to think about is sustainability is what I'd say. How are you supp- how are you going to keep this thing going? And um, like, especially when we look at the United States, which is where this thing really, you know, took off before it took off globally. 
a lot of podcasts, um, the, at least the really the really big ones and memorable ones like Radio Lab and you know they they are they are public radio sponsored, so it's NPR, you know WNYC and all these other radio stations that took a chance, experimented on these programs, you know, distribute them digitally, but they are supported <laughs> by the public, yeah? So also thinking about that, like, as a public good, like, is this possible to do here? This is something I've been wondering, but I don't have an answer to as yet. Yeah. You can definitely distinguish, the uh, you know, the interviews you do. I mean, they're much longer, they're much uh, in-depth, uh, they're contextual. There's a bit of patience, Um uh, you apply in in the interviews that you do compared to what, uh, for example, I see on uh, on on Kenya TV or even here on Kenyan radio. Uh, what sort of relationship do you have with them? Like, have you had that engagement with them? And what are they telling you? And uh, what are you hearing from them in terms of what you're doing from the mainstream media? Yes. Oh, actually, very little. Yeah, because I enjoy having the little contact. But they tend to operate very separately because I've always felt like people, at least Kenyans and uh, the media, Kenyans generally and the media, we look at digital media as something very separate from, um, at least native digital media, as something very separate from traditional media. They look at blogs and vlogs and podcasts and such as uh, supplements, yeah, and not really as uh, any kind of competition or compliment. They don't see what you do as competition or they don't, and they don't necessarily look at okay this is a, a proven model that we probably should should take and and maybe replicate in-house is, is that not what they're doing is that not what you're seeing from them no okay that that has been my experience yeah but then again i also have a very limited um view or like you know window into the world of mainstream media but yeah in, i think in kenya just i think it's a kenyan peculiarity i don't know whether this applies to other african markets like mainstream media has just cornered where they are and like barring their feet being placed, you know, over a fire, they just like where they are, yeah? As in the tried and tested method of doing things. So I feel like the innovations I see from media is usually from um, um, non-traditional media, like, you know, so podcasts, vlogs, blogs, and, you know, digitally native media. And then, you know, international media houses like Al Jazeera and BBC. Yeah, which is really strange for me. <laughs> like they will innovate more within this space than Kenyan media houses, which is something that really shocks me. But it's where we are. Now, yeah. in terms of digital trends um, in Africa, I mean, we are now talking about podcasting, but uh, could you just, I don't know, maybe you just want to ex you know, expand a little bit more about podcasting on another platform that you think that, you know, this is basically where... Uh, people who watch this space should be uh, interested in, should be investing. Um, you know, is there something in this space that you're thinking that, okay, this is something that I, I reckon that is going to be a, a big thing um, either this year or in the coming years? No, not really. But for me, I think we need to invest in digital literacy. Yeah. So the gains that we say that we are going to get from, you know, the bridging the digital divide, this is, um, you know, <laughs> the jargon that the government and its um, satellites like, yeah, like we are bridging the digital divide. And yet when you go to certain spaces, you'll ask someone, does their, their phone have internet? And they'll tell you it doesn't. But then when you ask them, does it have WhatsApp or does it have Facebook? They say it does. Yeah. Yeah. So people are understanding the full capacity of Internet access, like what can you do? Yeah. How much can you do? And then the cost of data, which is um, Kenya, the, the cost of data in Kenya is um, reasonable compared to some other countries on the continent. But still, it could be lower. 
one. And uh, two, people could earn more so that they can spend money on this data so that they can access the internet. And then I think the third thing we have to do is, um, this is a conversation that happens globally, but somehow doesn't happen on the continent as much as it should, is one on net neutrality. So protecting that so that the people who are coming online are not accessing a world garden internet. Yeah, they have they have um, access to the same internet that people who may who may be of a higher class would have access to. So for me, that is something that I'd be interested in because to see the full potential of um, online content creation, you have to have more people online. You have to have more people knowing that these are things they can do online. So that's something that I would want to see. So it's it's not enough to tell me that we sold X million smartphones last year. Yes, we sold them. But then are people accessing, um, what are they doing? Yeah, what are they doing with these smartphones? Are they just WhatsApping? Yeah, are they, are they watching videos? Are they learning things? These are the sorts of questions I'd like to see answered. And I'd want to see people have more digital literacy so that they can access more that's online. My last yeah. question, uh, you earlier talked about, and you're really keen to dis- uh, to make a distinction between the two. You talked about audience and you talked about community. Could you just uh, unpick that for me? You're also in the media like me, and you know, we've been having a lot of conversations about um, what does the media look like moving forward, especially that now that it has been disrupted. You know, we, we are always talking about how media as a space has been disrupted how does it need to evolve to continue serving the needs of the people who want to access it and for me one of the solutions is that it can no longer be a push approach you see like when we used to buy newspapers okay we still i still buy (laughs) newspapers but when most people used to buy newspapers you know you buy a newspaper and it's basically the media professionals telling you yeah this is what you should know this is what you should think this is how you should look at this thing but now we have access to the internet which enables a conversation between the creator and um, the, the audience right but then if they are to be a part of the content creation then they become a community for me so it it's it's People who you're not just, uh, because for me, when you say audience, it's consumers. Yeah, they just, they consume. But then if they are participants, then they become a community and they must be engaged and they must be, there's some kind of ethos or general spirit that brings them together. It's not that they just consume your content. So I I like to look at the people who listen and co-create the podcast with me as uh, the community because very many times... I've been, you know, like deciding on what to do every week is a lot. So not every week I'm going to have an idea. But then sometimes people send, uh, people send messages and say, have you thought of doing this with this person? And I call the guest and the guest is happy to come. Yeah, like one of the ones that we, we did, I've done multiple that have been suggested by the community, but one that was memorable was um, an episode we did on the price of fuel with uh, Raman Yang because he'd done a thread on Twitter. And then someone was like, this is a really good thread. Do you want to have this guy on to talk about this fuel price increase? And I said, yeah. So I called Rama and Rama was available and we made the episode happen. And that wouldn't have happened had someone not, <laughs> had someone not messaged me to tell me this is, a, you know, he did a, a thread. It was a good thread. You should talk about it. So such, yeah, people who are invested in the direction that you're taking, who are invested in the, the sort of material that you are releasing or creating and who are supportive and they will share this with their friends and their family and create that sort of rallying community around the work that you create that's brenda Wamboy, the founder and executive producer of otherwise podcast 
in Kenya. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you want to know more about journalism in Africa, check out my website www.dickensolewe.com. My podcast is also available on iTunes and if you have an Android phone, download it on Stitcher app. Just search for my name, Dickens Olewe. And please rate the podcast when you find it. As always, for any comments or feedback, I'm on Twitter at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.